You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. So last Sunday, uh, John introduced us, introduced actually a new series we're starting called Joy. It's an Advent series, and he explained, and, and we all learned how Mary uh, was so full of joy when she surrendered to the will of God and shared it with someone, and then that joy exploded out in, in song. Today, we're going to take just a few moments and look at uh, the adoptive father of Jesus, the early earthly father of Jesus, whose name was uh, Joseph, who has been called the forgotten man of Christmas. There are 52 cities in the United States named after Joseph. And it's really kind of strange because we don't know a whole lot uh, about him. What we do know is he never says a word. Lots of people are talking and singing and shouting at, at Christmas. Now, Joseph, people are talking to him. They're talking about him. But there's not a single syllable that comes out of his mouth, which means if you have little children and they're in a nativity play, you really hope your son doesn't play the part of Joseph because he doesn't even get two words. I mean, he's like, he's like an extra in a movie, he's like a, a walk-on. And yet God's plan of redemption hangs on one man's willingness to raise a child that is not his. No one in this room is ever going to be called to play the role of Joseph. No man here is ever going to marry a a virgin who is with child and raise that child as your own. But every dad and mom in this room, every grandparent in this room, every stepfather and stepmother, every aunt and uncle is called by God to raise children for God and to model a picture of God's mercy and God's love to our children. We're all called, if we're parents we're all, or, or have children in the family, we are called to help children learn what it means to be a child of God. And this simple man, Joseph, helps us a great deal because if there's one word that I could use to describe this man, it's the word obedience. Just obedience. So take your Bible, if you would, and go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And I think we're going to learn some, for me, some pretty amazing things about uh, this man who was called Joseph of Nazareth, who lived for one thing, and that is to, to follow the will of God and do it the best that he, he could. So Matthew chapter 1, if you have a phone, I hope you can have a Bible app. If not, uh, it will be on the screen. Let's go ahead and stand in honor of God and his word. I'll read for all of us. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as, and some of your translations may read after, he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then chapter 2 starts the the story of the, the wise men, the magi who came, and Herod the king was so fearful of a new king being born. He was felt threatened. And so he commanded all the children in Bethlehem to be, uh, to be killed, Ch- little, little, little baby boys. So look at verse 13 of chapter 2. Now when they, that is the, the, the magi, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Then drop down to verse 19. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that, was, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is God's word, and let me lead us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the story of Christmas and the miracle that it was and that it is. So would you speak to us through your word, and may we have hearts to receive from you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Joseph is just like this average young man who is so excited about getting married. He's pledged to be be wed with uh, Mary. And like both young guys, he can't wait. I mean, he's been dreaming about uh, the wedding night. And then someone tells him his fiance is, is pregnant and his world is shattered. And it's often like that with us. We don't get any warning of something that's going to turn our world upside down. We, we just don't get any warning. Uh, no, no advance notice. We just get a phone call in the middle of the night. Or we go to a routine doctor's appointment and we leave and, and everything is in chaos in our lives. And we don't know what's going to happen. And Joseph, we know the rest of his story, but he doesn't know it. So in a sense, we're like Joseph in this situation. He just knew his world was coming apart and he decides to break the engagement privately. And then he has this dream and the dream has an angel who says that child in Mary's womb is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then the angel tells him, Mary Mary. And he does it. And then he has a, another dream that says, the, Herod's trying to kill the, the babies. Get out of here. Take your family and get to Egypt. And he does it. And then he has another dream that says, it's safe to go back to Israel. And so he heads back. And then he has another dream. And he's told, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Bethlehem, go on up to Galilee, go to Nazareth, that's where you're to live. Every time he hears from God, he just does it. 
He obeys. I mean, before this, the biggest decision Joseph ever had was what grain of wood fits the table leg. And now he's dealing with these massive issues, and he just obeys the Lord. And I just wonder if this was refreshing to the angel that came to him. It was Gabriel. It's the same angel that went to Zechariah, the, the, the old priest, and, and said, you're going to be the father of John the Baptist. And Zechariah said, how can that happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is elderly. And then the angel goes to Mary and says, you're going to conceive and have a child even though you've never known a man. And Mary said, well, how can that be? I'm, I'm a virgin. And the angel comes to Joseph and says, I want you to marry her. No words, no excuses. He just does it. In fact, he is so unlike the other people in the Bible that the Lord comes to. Um, God came to Moses and, and said, I want you to deliver my people. And Moses gave four different excuses. The last one was, here am I, send Aaron. Use him. Came to Isaiah. Isaiah said, I'm, I'm too sinful. He came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. He comes to Amos, and Amos says, I'm not qualified. He comes to Joseph, and Joseph wakes up, and he just does it. You know, there's one thing Joseph teaches us, and that is God does not need our giftedness. Some of us say, I don't have many abilities. God doesn't need your abilities. God is looking for your availability. Um, he tells me God doesn't need our resources. But a lot, of, a lot of wealthier people than Joseph. And God doesn't need our excuses. The one thing that pleases God is just obedience. Just doing, trusting him that he knows best. He's wise. He loves me. And I do what he tells me to do. So this simple man who never says a word tells us that we can obey God even when it's painful even when it's confusing. And we can obey God even when we're afraid and, and in spite of our fear. And we can obey God when it means risking everything. I mean, when was the last time God told someone to do something easy? He just doesn't. And he teaches us we can obey God because when we do, we influence other people. So let me take those one at a time. We can obey God even when it's uncomfortable because that's what Joseph did. He was betrothed betrothed to Mary. And that's like our engagement, but it's more. You see, when we're engaged to someone and we break it off, you cancel the wedding plans, you cancel the location, you cancel the flowers, and the dad of the bride says, I'm glad that happened. I didn't like him anyway. But you didn't break an engagement in these days because it was a legal binding um, thing. The couple were not living together and they were not having sex, and not consummated the marriage, but they were, in the eyes of the law, they were legally bound together. So to break the engagement, you had to take a divorce papers and present them to your spouse. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes. The girl he has promised to marry is going to have a baby, and whoever the father is, Joseph knows it's, it's not him. So what do you do? Verse 19 calls him a just man. Some of your versions might say righteous man. And the Hebrew is asadik, T-S-A-D-I-Q. He is an uh, asadik, which means at that time a man who has uncompromising determination to obey the law of God. So if you're asadik, you don't eat 
unclean food. You only eat kosher, and you don't open the synagogue, your uh, the carpenter shop on the Sabbath because uh, just to make a, a few more money. And you don't hang out with the wrong people. You're a sodic. You're a just man, and everybody admires you. Everybody kind of wants to be like that. They can't come up to your level of of commitment, but he is known to be a sodic, and he is a sodic with a problem because she's pregnant. So what do you do if you're committed to the law of God and you don't have many options? Deuteronomy 22:21 says, they shall bring the young woman to the door of her father's house and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones because she's done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous in her father's house. And so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So if your fiance is pregnant, you stone her. And what about the guy? You stone him too. No problem was in, in Israel at this time, the Romans reserved for themselves the right of capital punishment. So you couldn't just execute someone for unfaithfulness. There's another option. Numbers 527 says, if a husband suspects his wife of unfaithfulness and she denies it, he can take her to the priest and the priest can make her drink what was called the water of bitterness. Listen to Numbers 527. When he has made her drink the water, then if she has defiled herself and has broken faith with her husband, the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain, and her womb shall swell and her thigh fall away, and the woman shall become her curse among her people. Anybody been doing your devotions in numbers lately? You've read this. So his responsibility as a sodic, as a righteous man, is really clear. Sin has got to be exposed. It's got to be punished. And at the very least, he's got to publicly rebuke her. After what she did... I'm through. I'm out of here. Just embarrass her publicly. I don't want anything to do with her. But Joseph can't bring himself to say those words. He's a righteous man. He knows what he's supposed to do, but he loves her. And, and you don't have to have much of an imagination to know how he struggles with this. What, what, what do I do? He wants to do what he understands to be the will of God, but he doesn't want to hurt her. So he's just wrestling day after day. By the way, how did he find out? Who told him she was pregnant? I think Mary did. You put yourself in his place. She comes up to you and she says, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is I'm pregnant, even though we're not married yet. The good news is I haven't been with anybody else. An angel came to me and said, Hail Mary, full of grace. And Joseph, I'm going to have a miracle baby. All the generations will call me blessed, except some Protestants. I'm going to have this baby. And a last-second desperation pass in a football game in the last few moments, it's going to be named after me. Well, she didn't say that, but she did say, this is from God. This is from the Holy Spirit. It's never happened before. But this is what has happened. And you can just imagine Joseph's struggle. He's known her maybe all of his life. She seems sincere, but an angel? Virgin birth? So he decides to just divorce her quietly. And what that means is he takes two of his friends as witnesses. They go to her father's house where she is living, and he hands her the the divorce papers. And that way he can still be a righteous man and yet lessen her suffering and her embarrassment. So what he's planning to do. 
And then he has this dream. And the angel says, in fact, look at verse 20. As he considered this, these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What do you think is the key word in that verse? I think it's the word as, or maybe in your translation, the word after. Why did God make Joseph wait until he has to struggle with all of this? Why didn't the angel come beforehand and say, let me tell you what's about to happen, Joseph. Don't get too upset, but Mary's praying. It's all from the, from the Holy Spirit. Why did God let Joseph live with so much anxiety? Could it be that God's number one goal for Joseph was not anxiety removal? Could it be that God let him struggle and wrestle and having his world turned upside down to teach him something, to give him a sense about God that he did not have before, to, uh, to grow him? Could it be God uses the ministry of desequilibrium to reveal things about himself to us that we couldn't know any other way? Because, friends, sometimes you have to obey God in some really painful circumstances. I remember a teenage girl named Carolyn Miyaki, 16 years old. It was there when she came to faith in Christ, and her parents disowned her. I know a woman who felt called to go to the mission field, and when she told her parents God had called her to the mission field, her mother said these words, I would rather you be a whore on the street corner than do this. Sometimes you obey God in the midst of some really painful circumstances, and it's uncomfortable. And maybe that's some of you today. You're just kind of disoriented, got some uncertainty about something in your life, and it's nothing you've done. Maybe what you need to do is wait on God and pray and trust that He is doing something that you can't see right now. So Joseph obeys God even when it's uncomfortable, and he obeys God even when he's afraid in spite of fear, and so can we. It's, what, it's interesting to me what the angel said to Joseph. He didn't say, don't be too sad to marry her, and don't be too mad to, bury her, to, to marry her. He says, don't be afraid. What's to be afraid of? Why would he be afraid? Maybe because he's a righteous man. He's afraid of offending God. Maybe he's afraid because God has come real close. And the definition of God is one who creates fear and then removes it. But you ever get close to God? God draw really close to you. His awesome, almighty presence. And it can strike fear in your heart. Uh, and maybe Joseph thinks someone who can not only create the universe but create life in the middle of the womb of, of a virgin girl? I, I, I'd rather just be a carpenter, just a simple carpenter. And if that's his thought, it reminds me of Peter when Jesus had this miraculous catch of fish, and Peter, instead of being filled with joy and gratitude, is so afraid he falls to his knees and says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. In other words, just let me be a fisherman. And maybe Joseph is saying, just let me be a carpenter. 
I think sometimes when God gets really close to us and we get the idea he's getting ready to take our life in a way that we're not comfortable with, it strikes fear in our hearts because let's, let's admit it, we all like our little Nazareths, don't we? We like our predictable routines. We like the way things are. And if the Holy Spirit comes, the Almighty God gets close to you and says, I'm going to disrupt your habits and your routine. Your life's never going to be the same. I mean, we're like Joseph. We, we're, we're afraid. Comfort can be toxic. Loving comfort can keep you from obeying God. Loving comfort can hinder your faith. In fact, C.S. Lewis said one time, if you're looking for a comfortable religion, forget Christianity. Because God will take you out of your comfort zone. And maybe that's what's happening to some of us. Maybe God is laying something on our heart. You have to love people you don't even like. You need to give more than is safe. You need to forgive someone who's hurt you deeply. You need to, uh, you need to confess some pattern of addictive sin in your life. Boy, the thought of even doing that just fills us with fear. Or maybe he's afraid for another reason. You see, Nazareth is a small town. How many of you were raised in small towns? May I see your hands? Wouldn't you agree that in a small town, everybody knows everybody's business? Yeah, there's no secrets in small towns, right? So Nazareth is a small town, and word gets around, and here's a sodic, a just man, and his fiancée is pregnant, and maybe Joseph is afraid of what people will think of him. I mean, he has own doubts, virgins, births, and angels. I mean, who's going to believe that? I, I have a hard time believing, and he's thinking, the people of my little village there's no way they're going to believe a supernatural conception of a child. No way. And he knows if he marries her, his friends will not believe the story. He'll be the one they accuse of being immoral. He's not going to be invited in their homes anymore. He's not going to be respected anymore. They're not going to bring their business to him anymore because he was known to be a lover of the law of God. So he's in a crisis of faith. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And Joseph refuses to let fear keep him from obeying God. He looks fear right in the face and says, you will not keep me from following the Lord. So verses 24 and 25 say this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not till she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. So Joseph does two things. He marries Mary, which was a legal act. He is taking her as his wife. And he names the baby, which is the legal act of claiming the baby to be his. So he adopts, he adopts the baby. Obedience is not a complicated thing. Jesus said, if you love me, why don't you obey me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Obedience is not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. It's the place where your faith becomes more than just words or a feeling. It's the place where you literally say, I trust you, and I'm afraid, and I, I'm, this is painful, and I'm way out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to trust you and do what you say. I wonder if someone is hearing the voice of God to do something or not do something, and you're just afraid to do that. 
I want to say something. I said it in the first service. I told them I really debated whether to say it or not because it could be understood, but I think I'm going to say it anyway. Some of us are educated way beyond our obedience. The last thing some of us need is another Bible study. What we need to do is get up and do what we know God has told us to do. Because when you read the Bible, the focus is application, what you do with it. So I wonder if God's speaking to someone here about that. And you're just afraid. You've got a friend in, in Joseph. I'll mention something else. Why is it so fearful to obey God? Because it takes courage. Here's the third thing. Obeying may mean you risk everything. You, risk, you ever thought about that with Joseph? He gambles the rest of his life on the bare word of God. And inevitably, God calls us into something that's unknown. In fact, I want to show you how fully Joseph risked on what God was saying. I want you to turn to the person beside you and ask them if they know how many brothers and sisters Jesus had and what were their names. All right, turn to the person beside you. You might have an idea how many brothers Jesus had and sisters. You might know his brother and sister's names. All right, how many brothers did he have? He had four. What were their names? Now take it back. Some of you do need another Bible study. <laughs> their names were, this comes out of Mark chapter 6. Their names were James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon. What were his sister's names? Heather and Brittany. Now I made that up. That was... <laughs> We don't know their name. We don't know. We don't. We had some sisters. We don't know how many or, or what their names were, but what we're told is that each one of his brothers has a Greek name. It's a Greek version of the Hebrew name for one of Israel's great patriarchs: Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and Simeon. And what some Bible commentators say is this: that Joseph and Mary may have given those sons their names. Because they believed that through their son Jesus, God was going to continue creating a people for himself. He was not finished with just the Old Testament. He was creating a new people for himself. That's what God was up to in the birth of this little baby. And Mark chapter 6 goes on to say that when people talked about Jesus, they said, isn't this the son of Mary? I mean, in the Jewish culture of the first century, the experts tell us, you didn't call a man by as the son of his mother. He was always the son of his father. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob just right on down the line. And if that culture, if you called someone the son of his mother, that was, that was harsh. That's like us calling someone a son of a, and then using this really insulting term for the mother. You say, what, what, what's your point, Sam? Well, the point is that decades later, Joseph's reputation was still trashed. They still thought he had been immoral, that he was, he was not a, a righteous man. So he had not recovered from that. Yeah, he gave up his identity. He gave up his reputation for a baby he had not even seen. He knew people would never look at him the same way, with the same kind of respect and admiration. And yet he takes Mary into his home as his wife, and he has no union with her. 
He's a, he's a young man. He has dreamed about his wedding night. And he doesn't touch her until she's given birth to, to Jesus. He's risking everything to obey the, the word of God. That, get up, take her to Bethlehem, as pregnant as she is. Get up, pack your tools, go to Egypt. There's no highways, there's no places to stay, there are no relatives along the way. I kind of wonder if they're sitting there by the fire one night on their way to Egypt, and he's wondering, did, did I really understand the angel? Was that, was that real? And people still risk everything for Jesus. People still sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. I want you to look at this first slide that comes up here. The woman in, um, who has blonde, curly hair, her name is Fadwa. This is in Marseille, France, where we've been sending these teams to prayer walk among the Shawi people. Every team that has gone to Marseille has met Fadwa. She was a Muslim. She moved from Syria to France because she has a son who has muscular dystrophy and she couldn't get medical help back in Syria. So she's living in Marseille, France. She speaks English and Arabic uh, learning French, but she told us several years ago when we made that first trip, she said, I've been having dreams of Jesus every night. And I'm telling my, my son, he's 16, muscular dystrophy, sitting in a wheelchair. She said, when you're in pain, pray to Jesus because I think he's the one who connects us to God. Well, over a period of time, she comes to faith in Christ and the woman who is with her, with her back to us, is... Um, is McCall, and she is the, she's one of the missionaries in Marseille that we've been working with. So they're getting ready to baptize Fadwa. Go ahead in the next picture. She's just been baptized. You can see the joy in her face. And then the next picture, uh, the, the McCall and uh, a French woman of a church there who are standing with her. She told us, the Muslims don't like it when I tell my son to pray to Jesus. She's facing persecution. We don't know what will happen to her. She lives in an apartment, an apartment full of Muslim people. She's risked everything to follow Jesus. And then look at this next slide that comes up here. This is in Barcelona. The black man standing there that you see standing in kind of a tub um, is from Niger, which is in the middle of sub-Sahara Africa. And he um, moved from Niger to, to Barcelona. He spoke, uh, spoke Arabic um, and he spoke French. Didn't speak any English or Spanish. He's, he's learning that. His name is Larwandi. While we were there this last trip, Johnny Mendoza in our church gives him the gospel, shares the gospel with him. And uh, the guy also speaks German and um, Johnny Mendoza grew up in a learning German. So in, in Germany, he shares Christ with him, and this young man um, prays to receive Christ. Now he's going to be baptized. This happened last week. He's never seen anybody baptized. So that's my son Joey laying on the floor, and Crystal's there showing him what it's going to be like when you get baptized. Uh, next slide. And here's the group praying for him, Lawardi. Um, before he's baptized. And then this next slide, they want to make sure he understands what he's about to do. Listen to this. 
you believe that Jesus Christ died in your place and paid the payment for your sin so that you can have eternal life? So some folks in Marseille are translating this over the phone, long distance, so he'll understand what Joey has just said. Jesus is the Lord of your life. So we should all say in Hausa, yes. So, A. A. So he speaks Hausa, which is his native tongue, is his mother language, and they're all uh, affirming him. Now he's going to be baptized. One, two, three. All the way, all the way. His dad told him, if you come home, I will kill you. He has risked everything to follow Jesus. Lost his family, lost part of his culture, has to find this new support group. You see, the Lord does not apologize to call people to risk everything to follow him and obey him. And maybe what you feel God calling you to do means you risk everything. You don't know what's going to happen. And the Lord calls you to do that. Are you where God wants you to be? Is God calling you to something that not only scares you, but it's going to push you way out of your comfort zone? I'll tell you one other thing. Joseph didn't know this, but he found out that obey, obeying the Lord is really the pathway to blessing so obedience creates influence. Joseph thought his whole world was coming to an end. But, but he's part of a bigger picture. He's part of what God is doing. And maybe he never found out in this life how he influenced someone else. When Jesus began his public ministry, he called God a name that had never before been used for God. Abba, Papa, Daddy. Where did he get that? Martin Luther said one time, he said, I could not call God my heavenly father because my relationship with my own father was so bad the words would stick in my throat. Could it be Jesus could call God Abba because of the wonderful relationship he had with Joseph there in the carpenter shop that freed him to call God Abba? I wonder if it influenced him. Maybe Jesus was called the friend of sinners because he knew firsthand what it was like to be regarded as second class spiritually. Maybe Jesus had such a heart for unrespectable people because he saw how his mother and father had been disrespected. Maybe one reason Jesus had so much compassion for women is he knew what it meant to his mom when his dad stuck by her when she's single and pregnant. And when all the righteous folks were saying, get out of here. 
go home. I think Jesus growing up must have admired his dad's courage. And how could Jesus on his knees in the garden of Gethsemane pray, not my will, but thine be done, if it were not for the fact that his earthly father prayed, not my will, I'd rather just be a carpenter, not my will, but thine be done. See, when you obey God, you don't know who you will influence, but you will influence people. I think later, after, long after Joseph was dead and Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if in his mind he was thinking, and I know what that looks like because my dad was like that. So he's a simple man. He trusted God. He obeyed God, even when it was uncomfortable, even when it was frightening, even when he was risking everything. And God just delights when we obey him. You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com.